Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca S. as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, December 28, 2017, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today, we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story on page 9. We will be reading and commenting on two paragraphs, beginning with the sixth paragraph, but he did no ranting, and continuing with the following paragraph, ending on the top of page 10, with, For I Was Hopeless. Today's readers are Eve K., Anita L., Rita K., Naomi B., and Kelly S. Our newcomer greeter is Janice P. M. The reference number for yesterday's Wednesday, December 27, 2017, 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10843. That's 10843. And the reference number for yesterday's 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10844. That's 10844. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating, and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is, that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Eve Kay to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning, everyone. My name is Eve Kay. I'm a compulsive overeater from New York. The 12 steps, one, We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, 
may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you, Eve Kay. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. I'm going to ask everyone to check their phones and see if by any chance someone is unmuted because there seems to be some interference on the line or some noise. So just yeah. press star one and then press it again, you know, listen to see if you are muted or unmuted and make sure you're muted, please. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. And I'll, I'll be timing the shares and say the word time if you get to three minutes as a dental reminder. 
Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in chapter one, Bill's story on page nine. We will be reading and commenting on two paragraphs beginning with the sixth paragraph that starts, but he did no ranting and continuing with the following paragraph ending on the top of page 10 with, for I was hopeless. I will now ask Rita Kay to read that for us. Good morning, this is Rita Kay, and I'm a grateful recovered uh, compulsive of reader. Can I be heard okay? I hear you, Rita Kay, thanks so much. Thank you. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me, if I cared to have it. I was shocked, but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be for I was hopeless. You know, I look at I look at this and I see the word hopeless, of course, is the last word, so of course it stands out. But it stands out to me because I identify with that, with how Bill was feeling. And some of the synonyms for hopeless, despairing, desperate, wretched, forlorn, pessimistic, defeatist, resigned, dejected, downhearted, and all of those I can identify with feeling that way as I, you know, read this diet book or, or, or went, and went and joined this group and paid money for the other one and just ran around, you know, time after time. And even looking at uh, over the, the previous page, some of the previous paragraphs, the, the words that Bill used in writing to describe where he was, he used words like dark, bleak, loneliness, bitter morass, quicksand all around me. I mean, all those are just pointing to how he was feeling hopeless, but he did one thing. He still opened the door. He opened the door and he let Evie in. And and it, it is important that Evie did no ranting because so many times when we're excited about recovery or we're excited about something that's happening to us, and go to talk to somebody else, we do just that. We rant, you know, we push, and, you know, we come on a little bit too strong. But Evie just stood, what what they used to call standing flat-footed. He just stood there, and in that way he sat. But he just stood there and just told what happened to him. He just simply told his story. And so, and it's so cool because Bill admitted in this writing, he said, he had to be interested, and he was interested because of all those synonyms that I just read, because he was hopeless, he was despairing and desperate and wretched. And I know that 
all those months and years that I was in relapse, I was all those things just time and time again. I have probably have a mini library here full of, you know, all kinds of diet books pointing to, yes, an answer, sure, an answer. But, you know, for me, um, uh, hearing this, the, the program of action again, because it had to be again on May 1st, 2017, you know, caused me to sit at my table, you know, my form of the kitchen table, and close my mouth and listen as, as people on this line you know, did no ranting but simply told their story according to the program of action. And that's what I have to share with that iPad. Thank you, Rita Kay. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Katie G from Boston. Joanne M. Okay, so far all I wrote down, I think I heard Barbara B and Katie G. Lisa B. Harlan G. Roanne M. Harlan G. And Roanne M. Matt M. I got you, Matt. Julie M. So, Julie M. Okay, why did you hear Lisa B? There? I did, and I said yes. You're number three, Lisa B. So Julie M. So here's who I have, and we're gonna just take this group for now: Barbara B, Katie G, Lisa B, Matt M, Harlan G, Roanne M, and Julie M. Barbara B, please go right ahead. Barbara B. Unless I didn't hear Barbara. Hmm. Katie, are you ready? Good morning, Rebecca. I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. Starting my timer. Katie G. Recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Excited to hear you all this morning. Yeah. Um, so obviously, the idea that I'm clinging to is. Um, you know, the number of times that I had said in my life that I was hopeless, my own frothy emotional appeal to other people about, I can't do this anymore, I don't want to hurt myself anymore, and then going to the gym and throwing up again, or, you know, complaining to people in program and, um, and going back and doing the same thing over and over again. And what I have learned over my lifetime is that hopeless, when I'm truly hopeless, you know, as our previous speakers said, my mouth is shut, my ears are open, and I'm following a program of action. And I remember the times in my program when hopelessness, when I have been blessed with the gift of hopelessness. I remember the first person who told me that she had an allergy to flour and sugar and quantities, which for me is it's true. It's so true. And I remember thinking to myself, it it hit me in the gut that I knew that that was my solution, that I knew that that I couldn't turn away from the truth. It was right in my face. And I remember the recovered woman who said to me that she no longer exercised bulimically. She no longer got on the scale 15 times a day. She no longer hated herself so much that she couldn't feed herself and that she lived her life and that she wasn't obsessed. And I remember my first um, big book step study meeting um, 10 years ago when I heard men and women talking about sex. Oh my gosh, 
they were talking about their sex relations and they were saying they had been hopeless, just like me. They had been confused. They had used people as hostages. They had had no way of living their life until they did this simple program of action that our friend is, is, is talking about and how they did their resentments and their fears and their sex conduct. They shared it with another person and that, yes, today they were living lives that were useful, that were happy, that were joyous and free. Here's what hopeless didn't sound like for me. Hey, sponsor, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Here's what hopeless doesn't sound like for me. Hey, let me interview you. Let me find out, you know, if I can, uh, let me find out if I can fit you in. I'm not that kind of of, of, of addicts. Like I am a low bottom compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic. And the only thing that stopped me from getting deeper was that I stopped digging and I followed directions. So if you're digging, if you're hitting your bottom and you're feeling hopeless, call a sponsor, get started and just go. Do not think, do not pass go, do not collect $200 because my main problem is my thinking. And when I think too much, there's no recovery. Um, I am blessed to do this one more day with all of you, and with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie G. Lisa B. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and thank you for your service. You know, I share with such enthusiasm with everyone on this line because today I am happy, I'm free. And um, I realize more and more as I go on each day with you guys that I need this program, um, this solution, more than I ever knew that I needed it. So there's so many words that jump out for me. When it says, for I was hopeless, what came to me is malnourished and starving. And even though compulsive overeating is my true drug of no choice, I have been malnourished and starved and I didn't even know it, just not having a clue of how to do life. You know, it says in our book that I was making a heavy going of life. That's how I live my life. Just totally worn out, but didn't even know that I was worn out. So when it says practical program of action, that means actual, being actual, active, experiential, and it's evidence-based. It's not a program of just watching and observing. It's really about a program of action, you know, and I needed to see that. And it is evidence-based because I hear it in you guys. I hear it in your voice. And I see it in your faces when I get to see you, you know. Um, the other thing that jumps out for me is he, if he cared to have it. That's a really powerful line there. Cared means attach importance to something. Bother. Bother to be interested in, you know. And the opposite of cared is dislike. And it, what came to my mind with that one, that's how my mind works. It just kind of ravels on, is um, in, the, in the reading of There is a Solution, almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. See, I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know that I'm, I'm really asleep inside until I'm no longer asleep as a result of doing these steps. And it is such a program of action. And this disease is so massive and so big. And when I'm in it, I don't even know that I'm in it. That's why I need these steps. I can't just like you know, observe them. I really need to do them, even when I don't like it. 
And um, I think the other thing that jumped out from my mind is that I felt that this life was something to be endured or mastered. And what I see him seeing in Ebby is that life is not a dead end, that there is hope, there is freedom. And that's why I share on this line. That's why I work with others. And even if it doesn't help others, it's helping me, you know, to stay alive. Because this disease truly wants me dead, and it is so subtle and insidious that um, it wraps itself around me. I don't even feel it and hear it. That's why I need to be truly grounded in these, in these steps and abstinence. And I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. You might Matt have M. heard Barbara E, oh. not B. Oh, Barbara before. E. You're right. You're right, Barbara B. I mean, Barbara E. That is who I was trying to call, but I put the wrong initial. So, Matt M., if you don't mind, let's take Barbara B., and then we'll catch you, Matt M. Go ahead, Barbara E, I mean. <laughs> Please go ahead, Barbara. Okay, Barbara, ever ready, at least for today. <laughs> Thank you so much. I do have trouble with my consonants, E, B, whatever it is. I am so grateful for this because what I hear is he did no ranting. He didn't point the finger. He simply told what had happened to him in a soft, I hope, gentle way. Maybe not, who knows. But the man, Bill, was intrigued. And that's what happened to me when I came into OA. I didn't know what the heck was going on. We were reading the big book to the first meeting I got to, and I kept thinking, what does this have to me? I'm not, do with me? I'm not an alcoholic. But I was intrigued because I was feeling hopeless. I had all those bedevilments that I have read about, and I certainly had none of the promises that are promised us on 83 and 84. I wanted to get thin. Yes, I wanted to live in a healthy body, a body that I could walk around using my legs without feeling pain. I wanted so many good things because I had young children, but everything before this had failed. So I was most certainly intrigued. And I was glad to hear that it didn't come easily for him. He had to listen, and he had to listen very closely, and he had to be at his bottom. But even so, he went out and drank again because this is a cunning, hopeless disease for me. And for me today, in 2017, my attitude determines my attitude for today. Today I woke up early, excited for all I had to do before the clock strikes midnight. I have responsibilities to fulfill today. I'm important, and my job is to choose what kind of day I'm going to have. And I am, am I going to complain because it's 19 degrees here? Or am I going to be glad that New Jersey's not inundated with snow? Do I have to feel sad because money is tight and it seems like it's going to be getting tighter faster? Or do I have to make plans to pay for things in advance before January 1st? Oh, do I grumble about my health or do I rejoice that I'm alive? Today I can, do, I can cry because roses have thorns or I can celebrate that thorns have roses. 
I wouldn't have this attitude, this attitude of gratitude, if it weren't for Bill and Bob and all of the hundred people that followed in their footsteps. This is a wonderful program of recovery. And after so many years of trying so many diets and failing, 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 and gaining, oh, thank you, hundreds of pounds, I am now feeling the promises and the health and the joy in my seventh decade. Please don't give up on yourself. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Matt, and before I have you share, I just want to let the people who got on the line a little bit late know what was read today. And that is from the bottom of page uh, nine, the second to the last paragraph, we call it the sixth paragraph, but he did no ranting to the top of page 10, ending with four, I was hopeless, those two paragraphs and sharing on both. Go right ahead, Matt M. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. from Postal Overeater. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That's a 12 step program of action. Uh, that was two months ago, and the results of self evident worked. Oster group, the Oster group was really working strongly, and men didn't have the traditional 12 step program. He kind of passed his, his experience, you know, part of the, which is part of the process along to me if, he, if, if I wanted it. And, uh, and that's really good for Billy because he needed that process. If I cared to have it, you know, I, I want this program so bad, but sometimes I get in my own way. I've, I've gained some weight recently. I've been struggling with the food. I was shocked, but interested. Certainly, I was interested. I had to be if I was hopeless. Absolutely in a state of hopelessness, mind and body. And uh, I definitely can relate to Billy that I can because I know what it's like to feel that hopelessness, that sense of like, I'm not going to get this. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what's going to happen to the next day, into the next, into the next. And uh, I definitely relate to him on a, on a visceral level. And uh, I'm grateful that someone in his life came along to help him. And I have a lot of help on my end. I have a sponsor. I have friends who tell me the truth when I don't always want to hear it. And don't lie to me. They, they want me to keep it real because I I go into deny, denial very easily, and I get into my own head too much. And uh, I'm grateful just that I can be truthful to myself about what I really want from this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Madam Harlan G. Thank you so much, and thank you to Team Thursday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it will be in the mid-70s today. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court. Why was he in court? Well, not only did he take his shotgun to shoot pigeons off a wall that he was painting. We're talking about Ebby Thatcher now. Ebby and Bill are together, and they're at a table that I sat at not long ago when, I, when we were at Bill's house in Stepping, at Stepping Stones in Bedford Hills, um, which was exciting. I was like a kid in a candy store. But anyway, uh, they had appeared in court. And who appeared in court? Seber Graves Jr., whose father was the judge in Ebby's commitment uh, hearing. Ebby drove drunk into a woman's kitchen and Ebby shot pigeons, and that was it. The, the police in Manchester, Vermont, had had it with him. They were going to commit him to Brattleboro Insane Asylum, which is what they did with alcoholics at that time. 
they had told of a simple religious idea. And, and Ebi and Sheba got uh, the judge to release him to their uh, custody. So he didn't get committed to the insane asylum. What is this simple religious idea and practical program of action? Number one, complete deflation. These are the six steps of the Oxford group as it, as it was then. Number one, complete deflation. Number two, complete, uh, excuse me, dependence and guidance from a higher power. Number three, moral inventory. Number four, confession. Number five, restitution. Number six, continued work with alcoholics. And that is the basis for our 12 steps today. What are the four absolutes? Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. Now let's take a look at what's going on here. Ebby is sober two months for the first time in his entire adult life, and Bill and Ebby were good friends. Bill knew that this was a miracle, but he's fighting this God idea. It says he come to pass his experience along to me, dash new thought if I cared to have it. And how many of us as sponsors are flogging people who don't want this and we need to all move on? It says here, I was shocked. What was he shocked about? He is shocked because he, he thought if Ebby is sober, then certainly Ebby discovered a pill that would allow him not to drink. Ebby discovered some swami that he went to that convinced him not to drink. He couldn't believe that there was a spiritual solution to his alcoholism because it just made no sense to Bill what does one thing have to do with the other? Because Bill didn't understand that liquor wasn't his problem, that liquor was his solution to the problem. He got the physical allergy and the mental twist from Silkworth, but he wasn't as deep into the process as he was about to become. He says, I was shocked. There's a spiritual thing for this, but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be for I was hopeless. Bill's life had gone to hell in a handbasket. Bill was a power player on Wall Street. Bill was a wealthy man. Bill was living on Park Avenue. Now he's living on 182 Clinton Street, sitting at that table that I sat at. And he is drunk and broke and stinks, and his life is going nowhere. But he's going to fight this. He's going to fight this Hi. spiritual, this God-based thing, and we're going to see more of that tomorrow. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan G. Rowan M. Hi, this is Rowan M. I'm calling from New York, gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. I love these paragraphs. He had come to pass all the experience along to me if I cared to have it. I'm just trying to think back to when I first came to the rooms, when I first heard about program, and I really did not want to know about it. I really did not want the information. I was so resistant. I did not want to be in a 12-step program. I thought that I knew better. I thought that I could do things my way. I, but I had an Ebby. I had someone who saw how sick I was, who saw how sick and suffering I was, and they pushed me to go to my first meeting. And how lucky was I that I had that. They saved my life. I didn't even realize it at the time, but they did save my life. 
And then Bill says, I was shocked, but interested. Obviously, I was interested to to some degree because I did end up going to my first meeting because I knew to some level that I was hopeless. Because And Bill knew that he was hopeless at this point. He knew that he was beaten down. He knew that he had been beaten by this illness, as we had seen by the progression of his alcoholism. He t- um, so I just completely relate to this. I relate to not wanting to go to this program. I relate to knowing in my heart that I had, that I needed this program, even though I didn't want to go. And they, I like how they say they had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. This program is very simple, but it's, and it's, and it's action and action and more action. And I have to do these actions every day. The actions that I take yesterday, they do not transfer over to today. Just like the food I ate yesterday did not transfer over to today. I had to eat more. It did not carry over. So, and it is a very practical program. Um, it makes sense when you think about it, being of service, getting out of my head, it's just not thinking about myself because my disease wants me to think about myself all the time. It's a very selfish disease. So I just love this paragraph. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Rowan M. Julie M. Hi, this is Julie M. Hi, this is Julie M. Recovered in Colorado. Can you hear me? I hear you, Julie M. Okay, thank you. Um, so I want to comment on the line that says, he had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. And that reminds me... Um, for myself in the beginning when I first came into program um, after I got a sponsor and, you know, we looked at my food and, you know, the bright flash of the obvious was sugar, get rid of that. And so I did. I've, I have almost six years of no sugar, no honey, no agave, you know, in any ingredient anywhere in my life. And, but the thing that I was, I, I look back at my journaling from that time I'm constantly writing about cheese. And I, I remember asking her if it was possible that I, um, you know, had an issue with cheese. And she said she'd never heard of that, so she didn't think so. And so I kind of hung on to that. But it became so obvious that, you know, I put down sugar, I lost quite a bit of weight, but I was still in food. I was still eating all this high fat stuff. And I can remember, I live in Colorado, I was out in the woods, and I can remember sitting down, looking up through the cheese, talking to my sponsor, and her saying, are you ready to put down cheese? You know, she finally realized, well, I guess some people do have a problem with that food. And I remember being so angry and just like, you know, wanting to just read her the riot act and read God the riot act. And, you know, it's just so amazing how... We, or I'll speak for myself, how I hung on to something that so incredibly did not serve me. Um, and I was not ready. And it took me another year or so to finally let go of 
basically for me, high-fat dairy. Um, But it's just so interesting how, you know, I didn't really understand abstinence until I came on to a vision for you and I, I heard about entire abstinence because for me, I've had to let go of things along the way that I never would have known were, you know, alcoholic foods. I didn't, I didn't know about entire abstinence my first five years in the program. And as I do, my life is so much more free. Um, but getting back to this paragraph, just, you know, my sponsor came to realize I needed to let go of this food. I knew I needed to let go of it, but I wasn't willing. And so, you know, I think about other people I know in addiction and how much I would want them to quit what they're doing. But I'm so grateful that I have my own addiction to reflect on, to know that I wasn't ready until I was ready and no one else is going to be ready until they're ready either. And hopelessness is the key until I was beaten all the way down into the ground. I wasn't ready. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. Um, I'm just going to tell you what we're sharing on before I take names. Uh, The bottom of page 9, but he did no ranting, to the top of page 10, ending with four, I was hopeless. Who else would like to share on those two paragraphs? This is Larry. I didn't... I did hear Larry, but the ones before I missed completely. Russ M. Russ M. I think I heard, and was Melissa it Melissa D. M. By? Melissa D. D. Got it. Amy G. Amy G. Jeanette S. Jeanette S. Here's who I heard: Larry K. Russ. I think it's M. Melissa C, Amy G, and Jeanette S. Who did I miss? Okay. Larry K, go right ahead. Okay. Thanks so much for your service. Um, This is Larry K. I'm recovered in Chicago today. You know, we we heard a lot about readiness, and and Bill is, you know, there is a contingency, you know, that you're you're ready to, to do business here. You know, I was talking to someone recently, and they they shared with some honesty with me. They said um, that sometimes they don't feel recovered in that they, you know, they, they really don't have neutrality around food. You know, and um, and I think, you know, he was looking for maybe some hope that you know, is it is it possible that you know that you can get neutrality? He had been through the steps. And I said, yeah, no, I know it is absolutely possible to not have neutrality around the food. I can say that unequivocally because that person in Overeaters Anonymous for a few years where there was no neutrality around the food and I had worked the steps. I say I had dabbled in the steps. I don't know that he had dabbled in the steps, but I did. I dabbled in the steps. I dabbled with abstinence uh, pretty intensely because I'm a pretty disciplined guy. I can... You know, I can I can discipline myself, and I was able to hold my breath underwater. You know, five days, thirty days, maybe sixty or ninety days, maybe at most. See, there's a rhythm and a timing to this. <clears throat> when I was ready to do business, because this was never about me getting relief. This that was my script. You know, when I wanted relief, I wanted it right now. 
That's my script. That was part of my selfishness. <clears throat> Wanting relief is not doesn't make me morally bad. Who doesn't want relief? But part of my selfishness was I wanted my cake and eat it too, right? I, want, I wanted to be able to eat the way I always ate to a certain degree, maybe a little bit less so. But then I wanted the relief. And I wanted this neutrality that I heard people talk about. See, I have neutrality today by the grace of God. God did that for me. I, I just work steps precisely. And yes, there's neutrality. There has been for many years now. Um, it is possible. It is possible. If you're, if you're feeling fraudulent, uh, yeah, I felt fraudulent too. I questioned. I didn't want to tell anybody much about it for fear that I don't know what my fear was, that they'd reject me. But I, I, I'm telling you, you can be that person. And when you're ready to do business, you can move from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, because that's what this is all about. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. Russ, is it M? Russ M. Hi, Russ. Good morning. Uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for everyone on the line. Um, it's Russ N. Recover compulsive over here outside of Philly. So that state of hopelessness. I've been there. You know, my my Abby, uh with regards to our program, it was unorthodox. He was a recovering crack addict. About 14, 13, 14 years ago, I'm in my office. I knew where I was standing. And we're pretty tight. And I said, John, I think I got an issue with food, man. This thing has been beating me up for years. Because uh, you go into a meeting, or are you in a program? And he planted the seed. And I remember he looked at me. He gave me this look like, look, dude, you can be free. And he said, look, you need me? Just hit me up. You know, I'll help you any way I can. So I went and got the brown book off of Amazon. You know, being the, the know-it-all that I am, I read the first page or chapter with a couple pages. I threw that thing down, and I said, this is not for me. It's for people that are weak. That's not for Russ M, because, you know, I know everything. I've uh, I've done so well in my life. I know, I, I'm an expert. Nobody can tell me anything. And for about 12 and a half, 13 years, I've destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. See, I, I wasn't hopeless enough. I wasn't beaten enough. I wasn't battered enough. I lost my business. I lost relationships. I lost money. I lost time with my kids. I lost time with my wife. I almost lost my marriage. Until January 13th of this year. And what's the difference? What's the difference between those 13 years? Is that this food and this disease had kicked me in the teeth so much and so frequently and with such force that I became reasonable. And, I, and I, I, it's the only thing I had or, I'm, or I was done or I was going to die. So now, close to a year in program, and about eight of those months, working a big book. There's hope. There's hope for me. There's hope for people that struggle with this addiction, this disease. And no, nothing is perfect right now. I don't have all the financial things, and I'm not perfect, and you know, I still have the issues with anger, and I still struggle, but I'm getting real with myself. Through this program, I become truthful, and I know where I'm at, and I'm growing, and it's 
And what I'm growing is it's not, not, not about Ross. It's about getting closer to God, making things that are our gods in my life not be gods anymore. And the Russ M. show has been canceled. It's been canceled. And I'm learning that the closer I get to God and the closer, more I trust him, the more freedom I have, whatever my circumstances. And I can never, ever in my whole life accept that. But now right. I am through this program. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And you all have a great new year. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Russ M. Melissa C. Hi, good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa Stay Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I just love, um, because I get such direction here. Um, I'm given directions, you know, how to carry the message. I do not rant, you know, and so, or I'm told not to rant. You know, I'm not making long and angry, passionate speeches, you know, and, um, and the truth is that never worked for me. You know, the last thing that I needed um, was to feel someone's anger. You know, that anger is an obstacle for honesty. And, um, you know, the addict has had enough anger, self-imposed, um, and from our families. You know, that was my experience. So rather than rant, like we're told, tell your experience. Um, and that's what we do here. You know, that's why I think this line is so effective. We tell um, how it's simple, the simple religious idea, and how we use the steps in practical terms. And that was the other word that grabbed me, you know, practical, how this is applicable in my life, you know. And it's not in an overly um, cerebral way, and it's not in a difficult way. It's practical. It's effective in real situations. So we use these steps in our day-to-day life. And, you know, and the truth is, like, we don't need to rant um, because our results will do all that loud kind of speaking. You know, it's the evidence. People see recovery. um, They hear it. And um, and if they're hopeless, and that's like, I love that word today, you know, without any hope, um, they'll be interested, you know. And so right now um, in my life, in my practical life, I have a good friend who keeps posting stuff on Facebook. And she's posting all the food that she's making, all the recipes. She's posting all the pictures of these foods. And then she's posting um, these cute little gifts, you know, these little characters of fat cats, you know, and comments relating herself to those fat cats. And I see a world of pain behind her jokes. Um, and, like, I pray when I read her posts that I don't rant when I speak to her. Um, and I pray that she becomes hopeless. You know, because when she becomes hopeless, I know that's what it took for me. When I was hopeless, I could see the evidence around me for people who did have hope. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Amy G.
Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a covered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Sorry, I thought I was one more down on the list. Let me grab my big book. Um, I was shocked. I was interested but shocked. You know, when I walked into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting in March of 1983, I was not expecting to hear a practical program of action. The saying in the program is, we come for the vanity and we stay for the sanity. I thought it was another diet program. And when people started talking about the program of action, I was pretty shocked. But you know what? I had to be, because I was powerless, I had to be interested, or I was interested because I was powerless. I was at the end of me. I could not stop putting my binge foods in my mouth. And they were talking about something that was shocking to me. I mean, the leveling of my pride, the confession of shortcomings, all of this that the 12 steps required, it was like a foreign language to me. And yet, as it talks about in step one in the AA 12 and 12, John Barleycorn, or as it says in, you know, for me, Sarah Lee, was my best advocate because faced against that, I was powerless. So at that point, I looked in whom the problem had been solved. People who had recovered, who had found peace, who had found contentment, I could see it in their eyes. We talked about this in the prior paragraph. They'd been catapulted into a fourth dimension that I didn't even understand or could think that was possible. I mean, it talks about this on page 25, and there is a solution. It says, none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, the process which requires for successful consummation. But when we saw that it really worked in others and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it, right where Bill is, when therefore we are approached by the, oh, I lost my place, there was nothing left for us to do but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. And that's what we do as sponsors. We lay it at their feet. But I, me, myself, and I, I'm the only one that can pick that up and start working this program. I do have a choice. I am powerless, and I was hopeless, but I had a choice to surrender, to admit my powerlessness. And even though this program seemed shocking to me, where else was I going to go? I had nowhere else to go but to try, to act as if, to look at and look in the eyes of those in whom the problem had been solved and said, show me the way, give me the instructions, the 12 steps, show me what to do. And as crazy as it seemed, I was willing at that point because I was powerless. And that's what this disease does. This disease isn't for the faint of heart. Did it take guts and courage to go ahead and say, okay, I gotta try this? Yes, it did, but I had nowhere else to go. I was absolutely powerless. And in that sense, the disease was my best advocate because I couldn't go back to where I was. And I decided to try this shocking program. And guess what? It works. It really does. I could see it in the eyes of others, and I wanted that more than anything else. There is hope. There is a solution. It's in this book. It's in these 12 steps. And with that, I will pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Amy G. Jeanette S. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? I hear you, Jeanette S. Okay, great. Uh, Jeanette S. recovered in Maybrook, New York. Um, the word that got me is practical. Um, just thinking about this practical program of action. Um, a year ago, <clears throat> Chris 
Christmas Eve, I was uh, I had a practical program of action. Um, my practical program of action was to take myself out um, with my with using a forty year old pistol permit. I thought I could go and take care of this situation I was in, this hopelessness that I was in in the mo- only practical way that I knew at the time. Um, and it just it felt right. And um, Christmas, Christmas night, I threatened God with my life. And um, the answer came back was a different practical program of action. So I looked up the word practical. Um, I've heard other people say simple program of action, but it's I don't know that it's so simple, but it's definitely practical. Practical of or concerned with the actual doing or use of something rather than the theory and ideas. So this is actual rather than theoretical. Um, I try to think my way out of everything, uh, theorize and have ideas about everything. I thought I could fix everything. I'm an engineer, and I pretty well can figure out a whole lot of things, <laughs> but I couldn't figure that this one out. And the only thing that was practical to me was to take myself out. Uh, that's the only answer I could come up with. And um, this God thing that I didn't believe in at the time, um, I prayed to, or yelled at, I threatened this God thing with my life. I said, you better effing do something about this because I'm taking myself out. And I woke up with the answer, go to OA. Um, Today, a year later, I'm recovered, I'm sponsoring, and I have a whole entirely different life. Um, It is so practical. I, I, you know, it it has for me for this one it has to be practical it can't be theory it can't be ideas it has to be actual practical work actually doing or use of something and if i don't use this if i don't every day use actually do this program every day i can feel myself slipping back i can feel you know, the buildup of everyday Mm. emotions. Thank you. And I'm just so glad that I have a different practical program of action to take care of this disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jeanette S. With one minute to go, this is Rebecca S., as in Frank, recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. And all the shares really brought these two paragraphs to life for me. Thank you so much. Um, I learned about not ranting and about practical. And um, for me, I was shocked in my second face-to-face meeting when a speaker from another state, I don't know, she was a gift from God for me specifically, I believe, shared that she hadn't had sugar in 23 years. And I was shocked. The idea of not having any sugar never, ever crossed my mind. And I know uh, earlier in our reading, um, Bill said, um, 
he had to stop, you know, and that he shouldn't have any. I never thought of having none. I always thought it was about moderating how much I have. But even though he had that thought, I think when Ebby wouldn't take any, he was probably thinking, oh, you could have a little, you know. So it was shocking for me to find out that I can't have any at all. And um, I, I thought she had two heads, basically. And then by the grace of God, um, from that moment forward, I just tried not having any sugar. And I didn't have any, or almost any, let's put it that way. I wasn't 100%, but I was like 99%. And I was still compulsively overeating. It took me a long time to um, embrace this program 100%, but um, it was definitely a shocking beginning and, you know, the beginning of uh, a journey that I'm so grateful for. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for letting me share. And... So now I'm going to thank everyone for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The reference number for this meeting, Thursday, December 28, 2017, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 10847. That's 10:847. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Naomi B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, my family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God has constantly disclosed more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still suffers, still sick. This answer will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet us, meet some of us, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 